Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 2. Yes, next week we'll be going to Colorado for grandson number one's birthday. Uh, our youngest son, our marine son, graduates from college Friday night, and we are going to leave graduation, like leave graduation and start driving to Colorado, <laughs> hopefully to get three or four hours down the road. Um, this week, in all of my classes of my high school students, I gave them a quiz. I resisted the urge to give you the quiz. Um, it's little pictures, and you have to guess the Christmas carols that go with them. Um, there's, uh, let's see, they, they had uh, a lot of trouble. There's a knight, you know, the guy with the sword, and you're going, shh, and it is Silent Night. What I learned from this is several things. Number one, young people do not know Christmas carols. <laughs> they really don't. Uh, even when I started singing them, half of them didn't know what certain ones of the songs are. Secondly, none of them know who the Lone Ranger is. <laughs> Not a one of them, okay? There's one down here of a cowboy riding a horse. And I go, what's the cowboy's name? That's what they kept calling him. They said, I don't know. I said, it's the Lone Ranger. What's the Lone Ranger's horse's name? And it has bells on it, so silver bells. Not a one of them knew who the Lone Ranger was. There's another one that has a sign of Yellowstone Park. And there's a thing shooting up in the air. Oh, come on. See, y'all get it. They didn't have a clue. One of them was trying to figure out why this volcano was going off in Yellowstone. They don't know Christmas carols which is interesting to me. The other interesting thing that we saw this week is we went to a dance recital at UTA, and for a brief, brief little segment, they sang a piece of Silent Night. The dancers did. But they changed the words. Round yon virgin, no, it was round yon woman, Sleep in, no, it was sleep in wondrous peace. So not only do we not know them, we're just changing the ones that we do know, which I think is interesting. So to remind you, last lesson, which was two weeks ago, we finished off the doctoral statement of the church. In January, we're going to start the book of First Peter. Now, I toyed with the idea of actually starting 1 Peter today, but given the fact we're going to be gone for three weeks, that seemed like a strange thing to do. So we are, in fact, going to talk about Christmas today. In Luke chapter 2 is the most often quoted story of the birth of Christ, but we're going to jump down and uh, kind of start at the end of it. Starting in verse 41... Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year. No, 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 I'm in the wrong place. Uh, 
22, excuse me. And when the time came, verse 22, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. You remember when they came out of, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, God told them to count the people. So they counted all the people, and in addition, they counted the number of firstborn males. And the observation was that all the firstborn males belonged to God. Now, what they did is they counted all the firstborn males, then they counted the Levites in their entirety, and the Levites were given to God as the firstborn to pay for all the firstborn males. Now, they were a little short. They had to throw in some cash, but they took care of that. So the law is very clear that when a male is born, he is circumcised on the eighth day. Then there is a uh, time of purification for the mother. And when that time of purification is over, you go to the temple. Now, not to pop anybody's bubble, because I know you already know this bubble has already been popped, there is a beautiful nativity scene downstairs that has the wise men in the manger. There are no wise men in the manger, okay? Earlier in chapter 2 of Luke, we have the shepherds coming, okay? The wise men aren't going to be there for a while. How do we know that? Well... Look, I mean, they're going to Jerusalem 40 days after Jesus is born. We haven't fled the country yet. That is why when Herod gets ticked off because the wise men don't come back and tell him where Jesus was, is, he kills all the babies that are under two years of age because that's the window that we would have been looking at right here. So... Forty days after Jesus was born, he is taken to the temple to fulfill the purification law of the Old Testament. Picking up again. And, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves are two young pigeons. Now, the law actually says you are to bring a lamb plus one bird a turtle dove, or a pigeon. But it then goes on to say, if you're too poor and you can't afford a lamb, you can bring two birds. What this obviously teaches us is that Mary and Joseph were not at the top of the economic hierarchy. I mean, they weren't in the ballpark of the top. So they bring two birds. Now, at this point, you can have a long discussion, which we won't, about maybe there was a lamb, but that's a whole different story. That would be Jesus. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. All we know about this man is from these few sentences that we're about to read. But it tells us a lot about him. 
Stan, you look perplexed. Okay. Verse 25. But what it tells us is a lot. It says he was a righteous man and he was devout. I don't know about you, but you don't open your paper very much today and read this person today was a righteous and a devout man. What does righteous mean? It means that he kept the law. We, since we're well on this side of Jesus and Paul, know that there's no one righteous apart from God. But we also know that when God gave certain commandments to the people in the Old Testament, that if they followed those, they were doing what they ought to do. They were righteous. So he did what God had commanded them to do. But more than that, he was a devout man. He is devoted to the things of God. Now, I don't know about you, but people who know me don't think I'm a devout person. No, we won't go there. He was a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. What is he waiting for? What does it mean to console somebody? A child falls, a child runs into something, and you pick them up, and you hold them, and you hug them, and you tell them it's going to be all right. That is consoling them. Somebody goes through some tragedy, and you come to them, and you hold them, and you hug them, and you tell them it's going to be all right. The observation is, is that you console somebody who's in a bad state, in a bad condition. Something bad has happened. And guess what? Israel is not where Israel would like to be. And God is going to send a solution to that problem. Now, if you remember, in our many discussions through the Gospels, the people had one idea about what the consolation of Israel is, and God had a different idea. The people, I believe, and most scholars believe, wanted King David, or his descendant, to show up sword in hand to drive the Romans out of the country. Remember, Israel at this point in history, and I might add for most of its history, has been occupied by somebody. At this point in time, it is the Romans. And the Romans let them worship and do their thing, but it's not easy to dismiss the idea that you are being occupied, that there are Roman soldiers around, you don't mess with them. If the Roman soldier tells you to do something, you do it. And by the way, they're collecting taxes. So the people are looking for a solution to the problem of the Romans. But we know that that's not what Israel needed. 
What was it that happened to Israel that got them into trouble to begin with? Well, what happened is they turned their back on God. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the nation of Israel, when they are obedient to God, they prosper. When they are disobedient to God, God brings judgment. And it's actually interesting, in one of my history classes this week, we were discussing, we were actually discussing the birth of Jesus, last lesson before the year, etc. But we were talking about wars and stuff like this, and somebody said, are there wars that we know of today or events that we know were sent from God? And I said, well, we don't have the Old Testament telling us God did this. So in one sense, it is speculating, but on the other sense, we know that God is in control of things. But with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, we know God brought judgment because of their sin, and he allowed this to happen. The Babylonians sacked Jerusalem because of the disobedience of the people. The problem was not that the Romans were occupying Israel, although that would have been a problem. The problem was the people weren't right with God. And the Messiah, the consolation of Israel, was going to come and fix that problem. So, Simeon was a righteous and devout man waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's fascinating because if you remember in our discussion of the doctrinal statement, we discussed that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only came for a particular purpose to a particular person at a particular time. In the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers from conversion until, well, they go to heaven. But that's not the case in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was only sent to somebody for a time, for a purpose. And yet we're told the Holy Spirit was in Simeon. So, he was devout, he was righteous, he was waiting for something, and he had the Holy Spirit. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Remember, we say this all the time, but you do need to remember, Jesus is his name, Christ is his position. He is the Messiah. That is, he is the Christ. And Simeon had been told by the Holy Spirit, you're going to see Jesus. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said... And now we get to today's lesson. Lord, now you are, letting, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Simeon is going to have two statements. This one, I believe, was a very public event. I mean, think about this. You are Mary and Joseph, and you're probably one of many, many people with young babies coming in. And this old guy walks up, takes the baby, and he launches into this statement. That would be weird. Unless you were Mary and you knew who this guy was. Not Simeon, the baby. But then, then, in just a moment, Simeon is going to turn to Mary and tell her something. I believe this is the public one, and the other one is the private one to Mary. This has actually been turned into a song. If you're uh, Roman Catholic, you sing it in Latin. If you're Anglican, you sing it in English. I actually went on YouTube and listened to a couple of versions of it. There was a group that sang it uh, a month or so ago, actually in honor of Queen Elizabeth passing away. Then I heard the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing it. That's a big group. Uh, but there is no indication that Simeon himself was singing it, okay? Just to let you know, that would be a little weird, okay? So what does he say? Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation. I find that phrase interesting because what has Simeon actually seen? I mean, let's face it. You're up on a cliff and you're watching this big battle taking place and the good guys win the battle and you say, I watched it and I saw the winner. You saw it. This event happened and you saw it. But has Jesus at this point brought salvation? Well, but you know what? Simeon knew. I am reminded in Hebrews where we go through that long discussion about those people who lived by faith. You remember that? By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, by faith, by faith. And he gets to the end and said, on all these people had faith, but they didn't see it fulfilled. And I'm going, Simeon has faith. God, the Holy Spirit, has told Simeon, this is the salvation of Israel. And Simeon believed God. That's it. That's it. So he can say, I have seen. God, you promised me I would see it. I've seen it. God, you can take me home. I will die a happy man. Now, we don't know if he left the room and dropped dead. 
Okay? It's irrelevant to the story. But uh, Simeon, he had seen the salvation from God. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. Hmm, more about that in just a moment. But what is this? What is this salvation? A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The people are waiting for the consolation of Israel. They are waiting for a Messiah. They're waiting for a warrior king. They're waiting for David to come back, sword in hand, and wipe out their enemies. Who are their enemies? Well, they're the Romans. They are the Gentiles. You do know, right, that in uh, Greek thought of the time, there were two groups of people in the world. There were Greeks and there were barbarians. That was it. In the Jewish mind, there's two groups of people in the world. There's Jews and there are Gentiles. And there's some discussion about Gentiles and dogs having certain habits in common. So if I'm going to talk about the consolation of Israel, why in the world am I talking about the Gentiles? I mean, I'm all in favor. I'm a good Jew at this time. I'm all in favor of wiping out the Romans. I'm all in favor of David coming and reestablishing the Davidic kingdom. But I don't want to do anything with the Gentiles. Those are those people. Hmm? The dogs. And Simeon knows that Jesus is a light for revelations to the Gentiles. Do you remember all that discussion in the book of Romans where it repeatedly says that this was sent to the Jews first and also to the Greeks? That this happened to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles? The Jewish people had received the revelation from God going all the way back to Abraham, going all the way back to coming out of Egypt and going up on the mountain and seeing the fiery cloud, all of that was a revelation from God about how life was supposed to be lived. And it was supposed to be lived in a relationship with God. And now, Simeon is telling us this revelation is going to be enlightened. It is going to be illuminated. It is going to be a light to the Gentiles also. And you're going, if you're a good Jew, but who would want to do that? Who would want to do that? A light for revelation. Light carries with it the idea that Something was in darkness, the Gentiles, and now the light has been turned on. 
What I actually wanted to teach today, but it's really not a very good Christmas story, is the beginning of of, uh, John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the baptizer. He came as a witness to bear witness to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. And the world word became flesh and dwelt among us and it goes on to talk about the people rejected the light because why? They liked the darkness. And here comes the biggest spotlight the world has ever seen. And Simeon sees Jesus, an infant, 40 days old, and says, that's it right there. He is going to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now that's interesting. Why that? Why do we bring Israel back into it? Well, what was Simeon waiting for? The consolation of Israel. He wanted Israel to be consoled. And what did God send? A baby. And guess what? This is actually interesting that we have to repeat this, but just to make sure we know, Jesus is a good Jew. The disciples were all good Jews. Today in our world of, well, anti-Semitism, etc., sometimes we forget that. There actually were some German authors in the 1800s who believed that Jesus was a lot of things, but he wasn't Jewish. I'm going, yeah, yeah, uh, what, whatever. But Israel is going to, yeah, reject him. More about that in just a second. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Duh. You have your 40-day-old baby, and one day you bring them into church, okay? You bring them into church, and some old guy is sitting out in the great room, and he walks up to you, and he says this. You're going to be a little startled, too. Even if you know What Mary and Joseph both know, you don't know what you know until somebody tells it to you again. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, and here is part two. Remember, part one was the public message the public proclamation. Part two is he's turning to Mary and telling Mary what's going to happen. Now, these two things don't contradict each other. One is simply a private message and one is a public proclamation. 
Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Wow. And for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I, I, I like the joyous proclamation of the first one better. But let's take this one apart. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Back to verse 32. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus is a good Jew. The apostles are good Jews. Many, but not all, of the early Christians were good Jews. But what Simeon is telling Mary is that this child is going to cause some to rise and some to fall. Now, we know in Scripture that we are repeatedly told that the proud will be pushed down and the humble will be raised up. Now, we're not going to do it but you could back up a few paragraphs in this. Remember, Jesus is born, and the the, uh, shepherds are out in the field, and the angels come to the shepherds. The angels do not come to Herod. The angels do not come to the religious leaders of Israel. The angels do not come to anyone with any semblance of power and authority. They come to the shepherds. The shepherds were, well, let's just say it wasn't high on the level of uh, social economic class. We'll go there. Okay? Simeon is telling Mary that there's going to be this division. There's going to be some that are raised up and there will be some that are going to push, be pushed down. Just remember in your head, work through the life of Christ, and you see those who come to Jesus, those who were the outcast of society. I was reading something this week about the Samaritan woman. Why would Jesus, why would any Jewish male in his right mind talk to this woman and this woman who happens to be a Samaritan. Why would he do that? Because some are going to be raised up and some are going to be pushed down. The religious leaders, they're the ones that cause Jesus most of his problems. Why? Their position is being threatened, their authority is being threatened, and they want Jesus to go away. And they're going to do whatever it takes. They are going to be pushed down. And some will rise up. Jesus has that interesting comment. Remember we talk about Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers. And Jesus says, don't think that I have come to bring peace. Wait, you just talked about peacemakers. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to produce a division. 
a division between those who accept him and those who reject him. We can talk about sheep and goats. We can talk about uh, grain and weeds. Whatever metaphor, imagery you want to use, these are all used in the parables. He is going to cause a division. We are told elsewhere in this chapter that Mary takes all of this stuff and ponders it. Don't you wish she had, like, written a diary or something of her pondering? Wouldn't you just love to know what she's pondering? But let me totally speculate. She is going to see Jesus as an adult. And she is going to see people who are nobodies coming to Jesus. And then she's going to see Jesus attacked by people who are in authority. And I envision Mary sitting there going, this is what Simeon told me was going to happen. You know, for whatever, 30 years, this probably didn't make any sense. Jesus is just some guy working in his dad's shop, doing whatever his dad wants him to do. Yeah, he doesn't sin. That'd be a little odd for a kid, right? How would you like to be Jesus' brother? You know. Why can't you be more like Jesus? Of course, then there's the old joke about he leaves the door open one time and somebody else closed the door. What were you, born in a barn? It's an old joke. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of Israel and for a sign that is opposed. What is the opposition? The opposition is that there is another king, that there is another authority, that there is a God who has sent his son into this world. Remember, we just talked about this a moment ago. Herod's going to be really ticked off. Herod's going to kill a bunch of babies trying to get to this one. But verse 35 is interesting to me. In the ESV, they put it in parentheses. You know the punctuation's not there. Yeah, whatever. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Mary. He's not even talking to Joseph. He's talking to Mary. You're a mother, and your child, your actually perfect child, not like my grandchildren, who we will say are perfect, <laughs> but we know otherwise, okay? Your son, who is actually perfect, is hanging on a cross. He's been beaten. He's been spit upon. He's been cursed. How could you, as a mother, not be pierced by watching that happen? 
We know the agony that Jesus went through. But Mary watched it happen. So Simeon tells her, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. That's the parenthetical statement. So that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. You and I judge people on their actions. Why? That's all we can see. Okay? I used to tell my kids, you know, they were bickering about something, he did this, he did that, and I told them, I can only make a judgment based on what I've seen and what I know. But God doesn't have that limitation. God knows the condition of their heart. And what Jesus is going to reveal is he's going to reveal to all of us the conditions of our heart. Not just, well, I look good on the outside. He actually had a phrase for that. He used it for the Pharisees. They were whitewashed tombs. They looked really good on the inside and on the, I mean, on the outside and on the inside was decaying flesh. Okay? He is going to welcome those who no one else would welcome and he is going to reject those that everyone else would have said, sure, come on. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this discussion before. Just go through the 12 disciples. What a bunch of losers. I mean, they're just like fishermen. <laughs> Stuff like that. A tax collector, for goodness sakes. Some zealot guy. Don't you know that the tax collector and the zealot had some fun conversations around the campfire? So that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So, what does all of this mean to us today? Well, first off, obviously, it's talking about Jesus. Obviously, Jesus is our salvation. Obviously, he was, in fact, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. I don't know about most of you, but I would assume we're all good Gentiles. And the reason today that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ is because Jesus Christ came to shed a light, a revelation to all of the world. Paul is going to talk about this being the mystery, the mystery that the Gentiles and the Jews are going to be grafted together. That's what allowed us to be saved. But to me, it is interesting just looking at Simeon. The whole idea that he was devoted, that he was righteous, and that he was living in expectation. Today, we refer to that as living by faith. You see, I, I am looking for what? Not necessarily the consolation of Israel, although I'm a fan of that. 
but a consolation of the whole world. You and I turn on the radio, we turn on the TV, we pick up a newspaper, we pick up a magazine, and we can't help thinking this world needs some consoling. But we also know what Simeon said to Mary. Jesus is going to cause divisions. Some are going to go up and some are going to go down. So here's the question. First off, can we imitate Simeon? Righteous, we know, because we're on this side of the New Testament, that we, in fact, have the righteousness of Christ. But if you remember, as we work through the doctrinal statement, that righteousness is something that we work out in our daily life through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of God in our lives, and that is the process of sanctification. We actually are called to be what God has declared us to be, which is righteous. We are called to be devout. That's just not even a word we use very much. You know, we're devoted to a lot of different things. We get excited about this or that or something else. What was Simeon devoted to? The answer is easy. It's God. And like Simeon, we need to look at the baby. We need to look at Jesus, and we need to look at him with eyes of faith and know and know that he is going to bring consolation. Even though our eyes don't really see that at times. Simeon saw a baby and he said, God, you did it. Take me home. I've seen it. I would have wanted a little more evidence. You know, where's his army? Where's his air force? Where's his tanks? Come on, he's just a baby. But Simeon, living a life of faith, saw the baby and saw the salvation. So the question is, since we, collectively, have seen so much more than Simeon ever got to see. Why can't I, like Simeon, say, I have seen the Lord's salvation? Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his consoling us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.